This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Today's episode of the Chase to Must podcast is brought to you by our presenting sponsor, Panko Chicken. The new Atlanta restaurant thrives off of a unique spin on Japanese and Western cuisine and is already racking up the awards, winning Best Selling Taste in the Taste of Atlanta Awards both in 2017 and 2018. So if you're in the metro Atlanta area and are wanting to try something new and good and delicious, go to Panko Chicken today and tell them that I sent you over. You'll be glad you did, I promise. Panko Chicken, where eats meets West. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. Hello and welcome to a Wednesday night edition of the Chase Thomas podcast. I am the aforementioned Chase Thomas, and joining me, it's been a little bit. Dan Favalli of Bleacher Report. Dan, good evening. How are you? I am doing well, Chase. How are you doing? Um, I've been rewatching. Um, old King of Queens episodes on my lunch break, oh. and um, the the Doug character way worse as a human being than what I remember. Like Jerry Stiller's character is still <laughs> just the best. I love Arthur Spooner. Um, very uh, he's he's one of my favorite just characters in general. But like, oh my god, he is he's an asshole, and it doesn't <laughs> work in 2019. Like, there's just little things where oh. He sucks. Doug Heffernan really sucks in that show. Um, I don't know that I ever. I've seen episodes of that show. I don't. I never watched it straight through, though. So I'll have to take your word for it on that one. But I think that happens a lot when you go back to shows that maybe you liked like years ago, or just shows that were lauded years ago, and you just find like holes all over the place or character arcs that wouldn't be accepted today, or you just don't like in general. Would you disconnect this call if I were to tell you that I own every season on DVD? No, I own um, I own Friends, the whole series mm. on DVD. I get, um, and I also don't like Seinfeld, so I catch shit for both of those. So I would not judge you for having. So that I've never actually seen an episode of Friends. I mean, to each their own. The uh, the the thing with that shows, I think I was so young when it was on that I never really caught how big of a uh, jackass that Ross was. And so since mm. I've since I've watched it in adulthood, that's like the character you come back to for me. And it's like, wow, he was like kind of uh, possessive and a little misogynistic and not really a great guy. Interesting. So Ross is like the Doug of the '90s because Doug, I guess, was like early 2000s. Who's like the modern sitcom character who like 10 years from now we're gonna be like, ugh. What the fuck was that? I don't know if this is going to count because I'm not sure I was really into the show, but I think people ended up hating it. But I was always surprised that even in the moment, How I Met Your Mother got away with a character like Barney. Oh, I thought you were going to say Ted because Ted's way worse than Barney. Barney's honest. 
Barney is like, well, I guess I shouldn't say he's honest, but like <laughs> he, I, I feel like he's more, how do I explain this? Ted is like, so if I met Ted in real life, he was a real character. I would hate Ted. I would 100% hate, I hate guys like him. I hate the, the, oh, I'm never going to find the right person whining and then also dating all the time. And just like, he is, oh my God, I hate Ted Mosby with a passion. And I've watched every episode of that show. And I, it's one of my favorite shows, but like he was my least favorite character by far. Um, Just a really dumb character, but also just really, just off-putting and annoying and like the classic good guy why won't anyone love me because i'm such a good guy kind of deal but i just i I very much loathe but barney was more i don't know i can't say he was honest but he was more it seems like he was more straightforward about what he was about like the suit stuff and everything else like i i don't know i think it was more genuine and likable than uh than ted i think we'll always like barney i don't think we're there i don't know if it's just because he seemed to i I enjoyed his character, but he did seem to, like, upon, I think I've watched the series through, like, three times, like, upon second and third viewing, he just perpetuated a lot of different stereotypes for both uh, male and females, and I'm just wondering if, because it was on such the extreme end of the spectrum that you're able to take it in stride and it doesn't become an issue, but then I'm like, you know, with how um, self-aware, I think, uh, that the just the social media community and this generation in general, like the younger generation in general has become. And I'm not even saying it's a bad thing. I could see 10 years from now going back and watching that and his character being viewed as like just disgusting. But again, because it was on such a extreme end of the spectrum, maybe you can get away with it right. when it's that it over so the top. Extreme, it was just like a um, what is the word? Um, what is an extreme exaggeration? Hyperbolic yeah. version of the douchebag bar guy like I, I think it that's the reason it worked is like it was just too over the top it was um it was so insane that it was just likable i don't know it, it's a very fine line like a hot and crazy scale you know very fine <laughs> um that probably don't won't age well that's more of like one of those things where you're like ah that's it's not great um also not true um in my personal experience i don't know about your personal experience but um it turns out every case is different um I've lost my train of thought. I feel like there's NBA stuff for us to talk about. There might be. We There might be, but we also did this last time, I want to say. Didn't we go on like a 15 to 30 minute? Yeah, because I was in the middle of like my 10th read through of the Harry Potter series, and I'd also just right. started uh, the Game of Thrones series, which I did end up finishing. Uh, it was, I wasn't in love with Game of Thrones overall as much as everybody else. I was eventually hooked um, at some point, but there was, I can't remember what season it was in the middle was it season five or four i thought it was kind of blah and then i was in the camp of everybody else in season eight that it was just an absolute disaster um it wasn't a disaster it was just more of like the show just shouldn't have gone down in one season like that should not have been a final season like if they had spread out everything that happened in the final season by two or three more i think everybody would have been fine with it but it just felt like or they could have like an elongated season didn't they take two and a half years off or something like that so right and they rushed a lot of it the episodes were longer but it just if it had been two two years and two more seasons i think people would have been fine with it but or if you could have maybe seen the battle battle of winterfell that episode was just in pitch black the entire time and you couldn't tell what was going on mm-hmm. i didn't hate it I, I enjoyed that episode a lot actually um being in i don't know i think like people are nitpicking it was still a great ride i enjoyed it um i've read all the books i love game of thrones um but i i mean jamie and cersei not uh surviving very very tough for me 
as a gigantic Jamie and Cersei guy. What? Um, <laughs> oh, love. They're my favorite relationship on the show. And Cersei, I just, I wanted to win so bad. I was very team Cersei. Um, I didn't think that she, if they were going to kill her, I don't think she deserved the, like the, the ceremonial death that she got. It should have been in a, a different sort of way. I didn't like that she got to die with, with Jamie. Why? The greatest love story in the show. I just, I hated Cersei's character. And so mm-hmm. Jamie's, I wasn't a big fan of Jamie. His character arc, though, is among the most complicated in just like, what do we call the cinema show, TV, whatever it is, just because from where he is in the first episode to where he is pretty much in the last season is just, is absolutely incredible. But it was, I, I enjoyed the ride for the most part, and I'm not going to be the idiot that signs a petition for them to to reshoot it. There were some enjoyable episodes and scenes and, and arcs in season eight, but if you're going to put a bow on it in one season and you had two plus years, however long it was to do it, then the season should have been longer. The episode should have been even longer or something. I just felt, um, it was too rushed and you know, the Daenerys stuff. I know people said that her character hinted at a bunch of stuff that she was going to do throughout. And I do tend to agree, but there was an element of, well, this is a heel turn like too stark for one season. So there was like stuff there that I thought um, the pacing really just ended up not playing well. It made me appreciate shows like breaking bad that much more and never seen breaking bad. Okay. Well it had the, like it broke up the, the last two seasons and I mean the last season ended two parts and it was, it was earned and just, it was fantastic and everybody was down with it. Like everybody was, in the moment, like, oh, that was awesome. I still remember reading Andy Greenwald's um, recap, like, super early in the morning the next day and all that kind of stuff. But, like, I I don't know. I, I loved Breaking Bad, and I think that's, like, one of those shows where when people, everybody's all in, and, you know, America, the world, whatever, is all watching on this. I don't even remember what night Breaking Bad came. I think it was Sunday, right? I think it was Sunday nights. Um, but anyway, it was so difficult to wind down a show like that that people you assume are going to be upset about an ending if walt died whatever spoiler alert um i'm not saying whether or not he did but i do need to check out that show that's the next it took me forever to get to mad men and i did that i gotta get through breaking bad next or at least start it another show that ended perfectly i think very into the Mad Men ending and the whole last season. It's just hard, I think, to wrap up, especially a show like Game of Thrones, where there's like 19 different storylines going on at once, and putting a neat bow on all of them was never going to happen. So it's just like some people are going to get screwed and all that kind of stuff. And it's just there's not enough time. And um, there, yeah. there still could have been just smart decision. Like, oh, Tyrion goes from prisoner to choosing how the entire like fucking world is going to be run basically <laughs> I don't know. in like a matter of seconds. There's just things. Um, again, I, I thought it was a fantastic show overall. And the thing that I wasn't really a part of it and I was even less so a part of it um, in season eight. Cause I was actively trying to avoid spoilers because I didn't, wasn't the person who could really sit and watch it on Sunday nights, but it's, you're going to miss knowing like what is going to be the net. You just said it was breaking bad. And then there was game of Thrones. Is there even going to ever be a next show that brings just social media or, like people who are hashtag so online together like that. And my guess would almost be no, just because of the way like streaming services and stuff work. I would agree. Yeah. I, I think, I mean, maybe true detective. Um, I, that I couldn't even get through the first season of everyone said, it was Oh, so great. true detective season one. It's like maybe my favorite season of television ever. That might be something else I have to retry over, over mm. the off season maybe. But, um, I got through, I think two or three episodes and I had no desire to keep going. Okay. 
Well, let's talk basketball. This is a um, basketball-centric episode of the pod, so um, we'll return to uh, TV Corner <laughs> later, maybe. Who knows? Um, Mike Conley, now a member of the Utah Jazz, didn't get traded at the deadline last year, played it out awkwardly in Memphis down the stretch. Um, Gasol just won a title. Conley's out. Grit and grind is dead. <sighs> is this the best place for Mike Conley in 2019? I would say yes. There might have been a case for Indiana if you knew what Victor Oladipo was going to look like next season or if they didn't just have so much um, other pieces to flesh out the roster with. I know they just have a ton of their own free agents. Um, People were clamoring for Boston near the end, but I don't know that that would have been a better fit just because you're still sort of waiting on Tatum and Brown to marinate. Maybe they're better without Kyrie, and that's a whole other issue. But I think... The Jazz were just like the clear bet. I think him and Donovan Mitchell can play off each other really well, and we'll be able to see for the first time in really Conley's career and then um, Donovan Mitchell's short shorter career, th- they'll be able to have more of these catch-and-shoot opportunities. And where I think it's really going to help the two of them is just in the playoffs, where they can play off the other one. And yes, they can be their own source of one-on-one offense, but now they have this other outlet to turn to. And it's as good as those Memphis teams were, Conley never had a teammate like Donovan Mitchell um, who could attack from the face-up position. Uh, the Grizzlies just never really had that wing. There was Rudy Gay for a minute, um, but but not even more so than him. So um, I love that pairing. And you look, Utah had the best defense in the league last year when you go by cleaning the glasses numbers. And now you add Conley, who he's going to turn 32 in October, but he's still, he's still close to all defense material and can defend his position well. So I think it's a it's a fantastic fit for the Jazz. And unless you start going off like the super beaten path and saying, you know, could the Lakers have taken him into cap space if they ever figured out what cap space was again? There might have been fits like those. But I think among the most realistic possibilities, I think Utah was always the, the clear best fit choice for him. I like the the fit. Um, it seems like a very Utah thing to do for them. Um, also kind of a weird exit for Ricky Rubio where he was like kind of miffed that uh, they were just like, nope, you're not in our plans anymore. Um, but at the same time, like, what did you think, Ricky? Like, it just, not another, like, I get it, but it was also, you're an unrestricted free agent, you're just going to get paid too much, and like, that good run, but the Ricky Rubio, Donovan Mitchell backcourt pairing was never something that should have been experimented with for multiple seasons. Um, but I guess my biggest thought regarding the fit between Mitchell and Conley is that... Uh, so I feel like Mitchell's like he's so important to what the jazz obviously are going to be in the next 10 years, but he was so good as a rookie. He went through um, some growing pains last year. He just, he's asked to do a lot on that offense with a bunch of non-shooters and everything else. Great defense, all that kind of stuff, but his shooting was down. He struggled a little bit. I, I wonder if having somebody like Conley who can rely on a veteran who can kind of ease things and take a lot of the pressure off of him will potentially impede Donovan Mitchell's development as a lead ball handler because I just you want to make sure with a young potential top five top ten player that they're getting just a bunch of reps they are still the lead guy the lead ball handler the lead number one option the closer all that kind of stuff that I wonder having somebody like Conley who's just so smart good shooter all that kind of stuff who's used to bringing the ball up um, in close games late and all that kind of stuff like I, I don't know. I guess I wonder um, having a just a competent, just good veteran like 
Conley is going to be a net positive, um, kind of like Paul and Harden in Houston, even though that's obviously gone by the wayside, <laughs> reportedly. But I, I don't know. I always get nervous about young lead guards who can be superstars and then giving them a older veteran who's not on their timeline who um, may or may not uh, mesh the best and potentially impede the development um, of the franchise's most important player. There, there probably is a level of concern for that whenever you're in these types of situations. I think with it'd be different if we were talking about Devin Booker in this situation. Um, Donovan Mitchell, they were t- he's played off the ball a lot in Utah to begin with. And I don't know, you could get away with him as your de facto point guard, but I don't think you want to. You know, there were times, even when mm-hmm. Rubio wasn't on the court, that they would have Joe Ingles run the half-court sets before right. Donovan Mitchell. And so he's used to playing in motion a little bit. And if anything, I would think having Conley there just amplifies his ceiling offensively in every way where maybe they get mm. to a point uh, next year. It's, you know, not like a, like a my turn, your turn type deal, but maybe he can help groom Mitchell into an even better point guard because Conley's only going to be there for another two years. When he comes off the books, um, that's when Donovan Mitchell's next deal kicks in. And so maybe at that point, mm. Mitchell would be more suited to be a point guard. So in this situation, particularly, you know, I don't want to take the ball out of Devin Booker's hands in Phoenix. So when you're going after a point guard, I don't think Conley would have been a bad fit, but there might have been more of a risk attached to that type of a pairing. But with um, Mitchell, I think the Jazz have just – his best role isn't as the – he's still a lead ball handler, but I don't I don't necessarily think he needs to be that a blister ball dominant guy. I'm not sure if he has the the necessary vision to do so when, when he's in the half court. And if anything, like I said before, playing with Conley for two years, let's say, maybe that opens up something else in his – playmaking game to where he's then ready to take on that kind of a workload uh, as Conley's 34 and entering free agency. Is Conley a good enough shooter to really open up that Utah offense to get them in that top 10, top five offensive efficiency next year? I think he is. His One of the most underrated aspects of his game has always been his off-the-bounce scoring and uh, the numbers were not always great in Memphis, but he was just always working in such tight spaces and there were times where they were running two traditional bigs for how many years, most of his prime, really. They never really surrounded him with a ton of shooters. The Jazz still need some other shooters, particularly after trading Kyle Korver, who I know he was old, and Jay Crowder, who was always an up-and-down shooter. But um, aside from Joe Ingles, like, there's just you don't look at anyone on the roster and say they're just this knockdown shooter. Royce O'Neal has shot the three ball um, fairly well, but just not in huge volume. If they bring back Tavo Cephalosha, it's the same story. He shot the three ball well last year, but not in high volume. So maybe you run into similar issues when you're playing with the Gobert and Favors front courts, but that's why it's super important now for the Jazz to use that room exception, or maybe there's another trade for them to work out to find that combo forward they lost in Jay Crowder. That's just How not- much is the room exception? 4.7 million this year. Mm. So that- you get for the wing? It's basically that four spot because they have the four guys. They have Gobert, Ingles, Booker, I mean, uh, Brooke, you have Booker on the brain now. Um, <laughs> Mitchell and Conley. Um, that's a really, really good four. And um, depending on what you think about favors and his up and down season, I would just move on. Like, I think they want to move on. Um, but who, they need a shooter there. They need a, a stretch shooter. And I don't know, can you get that guy at 4 million? Who is it? It's, I don't think you can get the, I, I don't know if you're going to get someone who fully approximates what Jay Crowder did for you. And that sounds kind of crappy to say just because Jay Crowder shot 33.9% from the floor last year when I, uh, from three last year and went cold in the playoffs. Maybe someone like a Wilson Chandler, 
perhaps there's a chance that Damari oh that Damari Carroll falls into that mm. um, price range. He would be great for them if I, I think he probably ends up getting at least the the mini mid level exception, which is then a problem for the Jazz. Um, Marcus Morris is going to be too expensive for them. I don't think it'll probably be on a minimum deal. Tabo Cephalosha, uh, if you can get 15 minutes a game from him, is definitely a name that they need to look at bringing back now. And the other thing that I think they need to um, look at doing is, is playing George Niang more at the four. That's something they experimented with last year, and they're going to have to. He has to play an actual role right now, and that's what you. that was the trade-off of this Mike Conley deal, is that not only were you giving up some shooting, not only were you giving up your best small ball four, but now you don't really have the resources per se to go out and, and find one. There's always that one or two uh, free agents who fall into that cheap price range. You didn't expect to see them entering. I don't know again, who that would be off the top of the head. I think Wilson Chandler is a worthy reclamation project uh, project. Damari Carroll, again, a fantastic Parker. Fit. No, that's nope. <laughs> nope. I guess maybe the jazz could cover up for his defense. Um, better than anyone but the the it's going to be tough for them to do maybe it's a matter of Derek Favors just really working more on the corner three we've seen him dabble in it a little bit so that could help them as well but I think overall um when Utah was able to grind out offense anyway with the personnel that they had if you add Conley into that it's just going to be uh, so much more or uh, so much more is going to be able to get done on on both of their ends for the team overall and then for him himself I think he'll just be um, the Jazz create space by their off-ball motion in general, and I think he'll benefit a ton from that. Frank Kaminsky? He might fall into that price range. I don't know. If you if you want to have Frank Kaminsky at the four, that's just – I know he's played a lot there, but no, I'm not about that. No. There's really – I'm looking at the list now. I mean, I think Alfred Camino is going to get more than that at 29 years old. He also – he, man, he made me look bad during the playoffs because his whole career – He's been fine on wide open threes, and he's always mm-hmm. managed to bring his three point percentage up in the postseason without fail every single playoffs. And then this year, he just crapped the bed, and they couldn't even play him by the end of uh, that Warrior series, basically. So that was a pretty big swing and miss. It's, I mean, you look at the names. Someone like Trevor Reza is definitely going to be too expensive. Mm-hmm. Here would be a name. I don't know what he's going to get. Maybe James Ennis. He's someone that you can get a oh god I play with James at the Ennis. four. I, I'm not a James Ennis guy. He he sucks. Like James Ennis, I that's oh strong. Darius Miller I, would be another option. He doesn't do much mm-hmm. on defense, but he's been one of the best three point shooters in basketball for the past two years. Um, for that price range, the, the Hawks buy out Alan Crab. Maybe Alan Crab. If you have to play Alan Crab at the four, you're in trouble. I guess you can throw Ingles there. Um, I, I I'm trying to think of just a pure three point shooter. Oh. Wayne Ellington, let's put him at the four. He only jacks up yeah. 10 threes a game. Well, I guess the flex, I guess the flexibility they have is you can move like O'Neal and Ingles up. If you're like, you can put Ingles at the four and then you can basically throw in a two or a three and use them as your de facto small forward. So if you wanted to maybe adjust right. holiday, if you want to use him at small forward mm-hmm. that I don't know what he's going to end up costing. Reggie Bullock is probably going to be more... too expensive. Yeah, Bullock's going to be a little too pricey. If Kent Bazemore did not make as much money as he did, I'd love him in, on the wing with this Utah team. Yeah, and Atlanta can't. I feel like it's illegal to buy Kent Bazemore out. That can't happen. Right. That's it's not. Um, so what does this mean for the Jazz next season? Obviously, we have the draft coming up and all this other stuff, but do you see this team moving back up into that top three spot? Because the West is wide open right now. Um, 
what do you what are you looking at mid 50s wins for this team like what are you are you gonna wait and see what happens in the wing and how they fill out the rest of their bench um is dante exum gonna break out is this the year dante exum turns into the player that we all thought dante exum was gonna be like 37 years ago (laughs) um i i i think this team's gonna be really good but now are they how good like are they good enough to be a western conference finals caliber team are they are they there? Is Conley enough to get them into that 55, 58 win range? He definitely is. And I don't know if they'll get there in the regular season per se. Maybe they will they might want to pattern his rest or something. Uh, there's also, you have to bake in a learning curve in these situations. We always tend to just overrate the, these insta-fits of when you bring in a major player. I think Conley will make it smoother than most. But, but what's going to matter more than anything is how they fare in the postseason. And you look at what the West is going to become next year, given that the Warriors, even if he resigns, they're not going to have Kevin Durant. They might not have Klay Thompson for most of, if not the entire season. And so that all of a sudden opens the door for literally everyone else, which is why the Rockets entering dumpster fire mode before the NBA Finals really even tipped off was so shocking. Um, the Lakers, yes, they have AD and LeBron. That's a team you worry about, but let's see them flesh out the rest of the roster first before we call them a juggernaut. And then you look at everyone else, the Blazers, the Thunder, the Nuggets. They're all really good teams. Which one of those squads were you fearing to begin with before you got Conley in a best of seven series? And I think you could say the Rockets if they stay together. You could certainly say the Lakers, but I don't know that you say Utah gets slammed by any one of them. And so now you give Utah Mike Conley, who had a borderline. He's he's always played at an all-star level, even though he's never made an all-star team. But he was borderline all-NBA level last year. The guard pool was just absolutely absurd. And so you give them exactly what they needed. They've now made some concessions on the wings that they'll have to address. And I think even if they only end up mirroring last year's 50 wins, I think that's what they had, they're going to be a much better team in the postseason. And they're now a sneaky pick to come out of the West. I think if you're coming up with ranking the top three teams most likely to come out of the West next season, I think they have a case to be in there. It might depend on how you feel about the Warriors. Um, But if you're assuming the Rockets come back, the Lakers are going to be really good. I struggle to come up with, you know, three or even four teams maybe that would have a better chance of coming out of the West than the Jazz right now. My biggest concern there is just um, when was the last time a, a team made the NBA Finals where their best player was in year three of his NBA career? Well, I think the Jazz fans will push happened? back against you and say that Rudy Gobert is their best player. But Okay, well, then you're not going to the finals. If if that's what you believe and Rudy Gobert has a better season than uh, Donovan Mitchell next year, then you're not going to the finals. There's a chance that Rudy Gobert is their best regular season player, but I think as we saw in the playoffs that uh, right. the shot creator is always going to have more control. There's a chance next year that Mike yes. Conley ends up being the Jazz's best player, though. But yeah, it, it's a pretty, I would say, rare, if unheard of, situation where a player in year three needs to be that good. I can't think of anyone who comes close to that. I mean, LeBron right. made, didn't make the playoffs until year three, and he was spectacular. He didn't make the finals that year, though. That's what so. I'm saying. So that's a big jump for... He also didn't have... Donovan Mitchell now has two all-star caliber teammates around him, and so that's mm-hmm. something that LeBron did not have at the time. Fair. Something Anthony uh, Davis never had. <laughs> that's true. Um, it's going to be interesting. I'm glad the Jazz are doing this, and also it's just... Utah needs to always have a competent, good point guard. Like Utah basketball is built around competent point guard play. That's that's what it is. Stockton, um, Darren, and now Mike Conley. 
It was a little bit of a layoff, but we're back. It's a pretty long layoff, right? When was D. Will there? That was like 2011. Has it been that long? Yeah, because it was around the same time that Mel got traded. So yeah, it's around 2011. We're getting old. Um, I feel old. Yes. Uh, so Boston, everything is fine. Uh, like the dog says, um, when the burning house around him, uh, Kyrie probably gone. Um, Jalen Brown subtweeting on Instagram. You have Al Horford not, uh, signing with, uh, the Celtics for a four year deal. You have him moving on and they, uh, by reports seem to indicate that he already knows where he's going next. And that's the only reason he would opt out from that deal. Um, I, I still can't believe that this is the team that's leading in the, the Al Horford sweepstakes. Um, it's the Dallas Mavericks, apparently. Uh, wh- what do you make of a Al Horford, Chris Depps, Porzingis big pairing? I, th- I think it works. I'm one of the ones that think Chris Depps, Porzingis needs to play the five. And, you know, you can make the case that if you play him for the 15 minutes that Al Horford isn't on the floor, he will get to play center and spend close to half his time there. Still, if you're going to funnel that much money into two players, I'd probably rather them not be two bigs, one of whom is entering his age 33 season, age 34 season Al Horford, the other of whom is coming off a torn ACL and has had just myriad injuries to the left side of his body. So it's a good immediate fit. I don't know where it's getting you to. If you're the team that's supposedly offering four years and – a hundred million dollars. I still find it tough to believe that they're, they're the favorite. I, I'm honestly, I mean, I was shocked that he not, I wasn't shocked that he opted out. I was shocked that all of a sudden it was, he was leaving the Celtics. So I guess it shouldn't surprise me. I would have thought that if this was the deal that was out there, that one, the Clippers were that sure they were getting Kawhi Leonard or two, the Sacramento Kings were just going full bore after him and ready to give him near max money over that four year term. I'm I'm honestly surprised knowing how much Christoph's Porzingis is going to cost that Dallas is the team that's being listed as the front runner for Horford. Why would Christoph still cost that much at this point? What do we, we don't, do you know what the, so the issue here is, is one, you're pot committed because of all you gave up to get him. It's whatever you feel about Dennis Smith Jr. Fine. I don't think he's going to end up being good, whatever. So write that off. Same. Those two picks, th- that that could end up being a problem if you're not good. So now you need to be mm-hmm. good. Yeah. Um, and you took on Tim Hardaway Jr. and Courtney Lee, who were making uh, – Tim Hardaway Jr. is two years and $37 million left, and I think Lee's at $12.8 million next year. So that's a lot of money to take on. They're both good rotation players on good teams, though. Like, that's fine. If you're going to be good, those are guys to have in your rotation if you're good. If you're going to be bad, it's like, why are we paying these guys? Right. And But I think Kristaps is – critical to them being good is they they they've yet to really if al horford signs with them that'll be the biggest free agent signing for them in in history of the franchise they don't typically appeal to these big time free agents they almost had dwight howard and d will once upon a time but those those overtures fell through and then i think the other thing to remember with Christoph porzingis is just the market so not only are you pot committed to him but you're not negotiating against yourself because there will be a team that will offer him max money even if they don't necessarily want to because they will think that Dallas will match. So why don't we fuck with their books? Or yeah. if they don't, you know, now we have this, you know, youngish Christoph Porzingis who played like an all-star when he was healthy, had top, I would say people tended to overrated him, but I think maybe top 20 player potential at his peak. So 
I, you know, the Hawks would be a team. Like they had, I don't know if they can get to the cap space now for the crab trade, but they would be a team that I could see going in there and offering Chris Osborne's a ton of money, maybe even the Kings. Mm-hmm. And so if you, if he's going to get those offer sheets, like this isn't a, you know, a, a um, a D'Angelo Russell situation where it's hard to find a team that'll max out D'Angelo Russell, and maybe he still finds one. But I think there are probably three to seven teams that would hand Kristaps Porzingis a max offer sheet, and that just might force the Mavericks' hands. Maybe they get lucky, and it's like an incentive-based deal, like the Sixers gave Joel Embiid, or maybe that's he the just best case scenario, yeah. right? Like that's what you want to do with him, right? Or maybe he just signs for cheaper. But Tim McMahon he for me is Joel Embiid upside. Like I don't think he's I I. Joel Embiid is just a freak of nature and affects the game on both. Like, it's just different. Like, he's not... I don't think Porzingis has that level of upside. I think he's going to be a good player, but I also... I'm always wary of paying bigs anyway in today's game. If you look at the NBA Finals, like, who the best players in the court were at all times, and the one who kind of got played off the floor and, like, almost got a DMPCD was DeMarcus Cousins coming off a bad injury and all that kind of stuff. That, like, this is a guard and wing league, and I just... I'm... Unless you're Joel Embiid, I don't want to pay any big a lot of money on my team i think it's bad team building in today's nba if it shifts back um maybe one day but the the guards and lead wings point forwards all that kind of stuff they just have too much influence and how games go and uh you're already seeing the rockets after one year clay capella any takers um can we uh, that contract isn't even really that bad it's becoming so i tend to agree with you with your thoughts on bigs but i think there's a handful of big men that you take that chance on Anthony Davis, Joel Embiid. I still throw Carl Anthony Towns in there. And I think Kristaps is right on the cusp of it because his offense is so perimeter based where it's very rarely do you see a big man who's actually more comfortable attacking off the dribble and face up positions than the post. And that's what he really has going for him. And so if you don't think that his health is going to be a problem, I absolutely would put him in to that tier, but I don't know how you could be there. Who who can really like? Would you bet on his health never being a problem? No, but I'm saying I don't. You could say the same thing about Joel Embiid, though. Is my point right? You could, yeah. Um, it's so the incentive thing, or maybe he's just cost less. Was my other thing is I'm talking about these offer sheets that might come. Maybe it's just you know we're taken aback where it was that summer after 2016, 2017, um, with the exception of the Knicks who decided to overpay Tim Hardaway Jr. The contracts were just very conservative, and there's a lot of cap space floating around this year, but maybe GMs are just more self-aware in that regard so i don't know i i don't i think the mavericks are at a point where they would have to give him the max if that's what the market value commands at the same time when you look at what his max is five years and 158.3 million uh-huh. it's almost like no like they're not really going to give him that right so i'm very interested to see what the terms of his next deal are it would in that instance i know this doesn't build goodwill but it would almost make more sense for them to let him go on the market and sign a four-year max deal just so they get out of that fifth year risk. Mm. I mean, it would piss him off, but, um, but it might yeah. piss him off less than if they offered him a four year deal instead of a five year deal. I don't, I'm very interested to see if he actually does get the max. guys go out and years. get like, remember the Hayward stuff in Charlotte, like yeah. that kind of logic. A team is... could give Chris Osborne, I guess like, you know, a player option uh, after the second year or whatever it is. So mm. yeah, there's, there's risk. There's some risk there. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know what they're going to do. I think they're just going to max him out personally. Like you don't make that trade if you don't believe that Chris Epsperzingis is going to be healthy and a cornerstone guy for the next 10 years on your, on your team. Um, I definitely wouldn't I mean, pay him and Al Horford at the same time near max that's, money. That's what it looks like they're going to do, right? Unless you can get Horford. Would Horford do a one or two year deal, like a one and one at this point? If they could get that, would if I think Horford's max is 
so it's 35% of the cap, so it's like 35.8 million or whatever, 37.2 million. I, I can't remember what the ma- exact math is at this moment. I would give him that for two years if, right. if he would take it. It's like I would love Horford at two years. Horford at four. 38.2 uh, million is his max. So mm. a two-year deal um, worth his max is going to run more than almost $80 million. I mean, I would do it. But if you it'd be two years and seventy nine point four million when you bake in the raise, I would offer mm. him that just to see if he'd take it because that's so close to the hundred million he'd be getting over four years, and you do inoculate yourself against a level of risk. It of course makes it harder to, you know, thirty eight point two million dollars is a lot different from twenty five. Makes it harder to flesh out the rest of your roster. Yeah, um, and the rest of the roster is interesting. I mean, they got Hardaway locked in there. Um, I. <sighs> I don't know. Like, I, it's a very weird group because they locked up Powell, too. Right, like, and they have, like, I'm not saying that Maxi Kleba is better than Horford, but Maxi Kleba is actually good, and you can get him for so much cheaper, and you're, I don't think you, if, if you sign you Horford, I, I don't you're going to say there, <laughs> Salah, or what, what is his name? Um, Salah. Mejri, so, yeah. Yes, no. who they love, um, <laughs> but who it, I love. But it's like, at uh, that but, point, like then you have to let Maxi Kleba go, right? Because you can't all of a sudden be paying four big men, like, actual money. I'm not saying he was going to get a ton um there are questions about whether he can play center full time but you have like if you're keeping porzingis and powell's back and you actually like him i would think that your big man rotation is close to set and if you want a fourth big again you're not going to get al horford but there's a way of getting serviceable bigs on the market for cheap and we've seen it over the past few off seasons where if you wait long enough then that brooke lopez opportunity is going to materialize they just have to do something about their wings. Um, if they want to really compete and you want to sign Horford, Chris Stubbs comes back, Doncic makes another jump in year two, but um, I, I just, this wing depth is awful. Then again, then again, Rick Carlisle loves the 19 point guard lineup. So if he can find a way to just play three point guards and two bigs, I think they need more guards for that then still though. I loved, I like Jalen Brunson a lot, but he's, if you're going to play a lot. Yeah, and if you want to call Luka Doncic a point guard, fine, but then you're still kind of like, you need another guard, and so those... I think we're calling Ben Simmons a point guard, we're calling Luka a point guard. That's fine, but you still need, like, to really create those mismatches. Um, Luka Doncic is more so of a mismatch, not because of his handles or his speed, but because he can take ridiculous step-back three-pointers, which is right. fine. Um, that's why you said wings, and I'm a hundred... That's their biggest need. They need wings who can dribble, and that's Justin what... Justin Jackson ain't it, Chief. Yeah, um, <laughs> and... But if you're not, if you're going to go like the offbeat route, then at least go, you know, focus on Kemba first before you're going to go to Hofford would be my thing, because that does more for their team. I stuff. I worry about how that affects it because he's just always been the guy. The solo act in Charlotte is, is he going to take away from Doncic? Well, one, he would probably welcome it. Just looking at the count. I think he would. From what we saw. Um, who he was at UConn and who he's always been. And I remember talking to people about that who were in that building. I I think Kimbo likes being the guy. I think that's the reason he's tempted to stay. And I think he there's a real chance he does stay. Kimba, there's a reason he loves being the guy who creates late in games, that he's Mr. ISO heavy late in games. Uh, I don't think Kimba would be good for this group at all. I think I, I think he'd be fantastic. Just based off, if you look at the seasons, uh, he played with Jeremy Lin and the way he played off him, the way he shot on catch-and-shoot threes over the past three years, they've actually run some stuff from him um, in Charlotte off the ball. And so, yeah, there might be an adjustment period, but we're talking about a guy, as players age, I think they tend to understand the value of not having to do what Walker has done for the first eight years. And so 
would there be some oddity when you look at having to give the ball up to Luka Doncic in those late game situations? Maybe, but I, I think that in the long run, he ends up being fantastic for them. And I don't think that he's going, you know, where if he leaves Charlotte, that's this type of situation he's going into. Everyone's talking about Dallas or talking about the Lakers. He's not going to have the ball in his hands anymore with the Lakers. So I think he would have with the Lakers and I don't think it would be as why where's the okay with I'm okay with like LeBron working with Kemba and being like I think LeBron was more like he's a veteran it's year 18 like it's fine he refuses to play off the ball that's the guy everyone said oh it's gonna be so good they're surrounding him with ball handlers now he can really play off the ball LeBron is the one who has no desire to play off the ball but I'm okay. Like, I'm not worried about LeBron's development. The difference is timelines where it's like, I think Luca needs to be on the ball. It goes back to what we were talking about with Mitchell. We're like, I don't want to put anyone in that backcourt that could stunt Doncic as just the superstar guy who's comfortable closing games, who's comfortable um, just being the lead dominant ball handler. And if you take the ball out of his hands too much, it's too many reps he's losing. I don't, I, I think reps are so critical with these young guys, especially young ball handlers like Steph Curry and everybody else when they're coming in that like, I I would be very concerned. Remember how much we were hated the Jarrett Jack stuff with Steph Curry years ago and what that looked like and just like, what are we doing here? Um, I think there is that same sort of fear when you bring in Kemba. Like he needs to go to a veteran team without uh, a, a young promising, like Devin Booker. Don't put him anywhere near Devin Booker. There's just certain teams I would keep him away from and I would put him on a, a veteran heavy team that already has guys that know who they are and... Um, are more likely to um, coalesce uh, with somebody like Kemba. Uh, that's that's just me. I, I would just keep guys like him away from young lead ball handlers. Yeah, there's I fi- there would definitely be more of a risk of the Kemba Doncic thing than there is with the Conley Mitchell thing. That that far, I'll, I'll go with you. I think it would end up being a really good fit, though. I just want him in L.A. Like, Kemba, just go to L.A., play off ball with lebron go play with ad that that's what i want i and i think like, i mean he's the perfect Kyrie facsimile and the way that lebron right. and irving worked together even when they weren't like working together was just absolutely fantastic yeah i um i don't know so what does boston do now that horford's gone they're losing Kyrie. um is this a blessing in this disguise a little bit i mean i still don't think they should pay rosier so i, I hope danny Ainge is not still gonna do that and be like let's try it out for a year um I love the jokes about this as the team that Brad Stevens has always wanted, the scrappy underdogs, like back to just no superstars and just young guys who rally around each other and the us against the world stuff. Um, this is his bread and butter. But um, and I think there is a, a nugget of truth there. I just I don't know. They could do so many different things now, right? Like this is just all going negatively for them. But at the same time, now you have a bunch of guys who are on the right timeline. You have the veteran who's never been a real star anyway. And Hayward, um, I mean, obviously the Jackie McMullen piece of just like Stevens force feeding Hayward, not actually going over that well with teammates, but it does seem like he's just a really good team guy. And those players still really like um, Stevens, but you have Marcus smart, who I think we both love. You still have Tatum Brown. And I, I don't know. I think it's, it's one of those things where the timelines are back and it might just reinvigorate that group. It's good for Tatum. Um, I think I, can I give you my my craziest take? Yeah, I'm ready. Celtics. You could talk me into them trading for Chris Paul. They they might end up having close to the cap space to do it. They'd have to renounce everybody. Um, I don't know. What are uh, you? Can I make the case for him and why I like Chris Paul in that locker room? 
Well, my first question would be, what are you, are you just assuming that the Celtics create cap space and then give up a cheap player to make up the difference? Or are you talking like a Hayward for Chris Paul swap? No, I don't think Hayward's going anywhere. Like Brad Stevens is not letting Hayward. Like, I I don't think that's happening. I don't think Hayward's getting traded. Um, But that would be cool. Like the Hayward for Chris Paul swap would be, would be wild. Um, I just don't think they're going to do Hayward like that. I, but then again, Danny Ainge, he did far worse with Isaiah (laughs) Thomas. So we can't rule it out. Um, I just, I love the idea of, so Tatum having this down year, right? Like he had the great rookie sensation. It's like, oh, young Kobe, all this other stuff. And then he falls off a little bit. And I think part of that is because of Kyrie and just um, the kind of usage rate that, that he brings. And Tatum takes a lot of long twos and all this stuff. He just didn't feel right. So he wasn't the lead dog. But he's also like kind of like the quiet, I I wonder, I think Chris Paul is good for those kind of guys. Like, I think Chris Paul obviously was really good for James Harden and getting into that next level because they were number one and number two in uh, real plus minus last year. Like, people forget just how good that tandem was. And I think Chris Paul's, like, obsessive when it all costs, like, attention to detail is also something that Brad Stevens would like because that dude loves drawing up plays and Chris Paul would be the lead guy with Marcus Smart and that group because Tatum's on a lead ball handle anyway that like Chris Paul will be able to do the kind of stuff that he wants to do anyway, which is run a bunch of plays and do sets and player screens and everything else and run a real offense. Well, he'll do that in, uh, in Boston, his defensive liability status. Now at this point in his career, young, small, I mean, uh, small point guards obviously don't age well. Well, guess what? You have Marcus smart and a bunch of big wings. Like they're, they're going to be a good defensive team. We know that the Celtics are still going to be a good defensive team. So adding Chris Paul to the mix, I don't think will necessarily really hurt them all that much. Um, I, I just I think he's like the kind of guy that would actually be really good for Jason Tatum to have in his ear for a, a couple of years just because you need to get his his mojo back. And I think Chris Paul's the kind of guy to get on his ass and just kind of push him back. Kyrie, I don't think, was getting on Jason Tatum of like, hey, we need you to be a superstar. The franchise's next 10 years hinges on what you become. And uh, I don't think Kyrie was kind of that kind of leader. And I think Chris Paul would. I think he's the right kind of fit culturally um for that group kind of like kevin garnett years ago where I, I think he'd be good for them it would be interesting and i just at this point if you're losing horford and uh kyrie irving it almost fits brad stevens's coaching scheme more to not have someone like cp3 where there's going to be you, you definitely need i'm not sure that they have enough playmaking even if gordon hayward goes back to 2007 uh 2016 2017 hayward who was legitimately fantastic and i think people forget at how uh, good he actually was cp3 is just going to be still so dominant and when he's setting up his teammates still burning through the clock and i don't know if that's the best schematic fit and i also question whether his leadership is good for a general a generation that's removed from him he couldn't get along with blake griffin there seems to be at least some tension between him and Harden, and that maybe always happens when you're putting two superstars together. And both CP3 and Maury have come out and said that this is overblown. Even Shaq. Yeah, <laughs> like, I think it's the good kind of tension, though. I think maybe, but Tatum is younger, and so the way we've seen LeBron just not even—I don't want to say clash with his young teammates, but he's had problems relating to them and accepting them as equals, and really succeeding with like uh, the generations that are below him, it dates back to Kyrie. They were fantastic on the court, but they clearly lacked that synergy off it. Um, maybe Anthony Davis and him will be different because Anthony Davis clearly wants to play with LeBron James and essentially chose to play with LeBron James. That being said, Chris Paul 
is 33 now, 34, and you're going to put him with Jason Tatum, who is two generations removed at this point. He's 21. So that difference, I'm just not sure. Even if we remove the on-court stuff from the equation, there's a chance that it works because the Celtics do need more playmaking. I, I think that Chris Paul would end up grading on the youngsters just as much as, if not more so, than Kyrie Irving. We've already shown that who's going to be the, the player that steps in and like levels it out. It was one thing for Marcus Smart or Marcus Morris to maybe do that to Kyrie or to step in if Kyrie wasn't doing much. But Al Horford seems like he's leaving Boston because he doesn't want to be in that type of role. And I don't think if they bring back Marcus Morris, if they have Marcus Smart, those aren't going to be guys that can supersede the, the emotional value of Chris Paul. And so I just think it creates an unnecessarily complicated off-court dynamic. That said, if you can do it and you don't have to give up anyone from the core, and I'm talking Hayward, Tatum, Brown, or Smart, I I would absolutely like to see it. It'd be interesting. I just don't know that it would be as good of a fit as you're thinking. Yeah, um, and I also don't think it's going to happen. I I, but I am very interested to see what they do at the the point guard slot. I think they'll 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 figure out Horford stuff fairly easily. I just don't I don't know. I, I they're gonna do Ainge is gonna do something this summer, and I just I'm I'm very much excited to see how the Celtics respond to this just avalanche of negativity and just throwing their five years of planning um, with the Nets picks and everything else to get Kyrie and AD two top ten players, and they're gonna have zero of those guys and also losing Horford. It's just been, it's been bad, but I also would not be surprised if they changed the narrative by October, like just by doing something where it's like, Oh, they're back. They figured something out. Um, I don't know. Last thing. And then we'll wrap up here. Uh, Sam Presti, another guy we've forgotten about um, being a little quiet in OKC after another very dubious playoff run. Paul George clearly hurt, then had surgery, uh, a ba- very bad series for Russell Westbrook, obviously. Um, and they're capped out and they are paying a lot of money to, um, a very small amount of human beings on their roster. And the report now, Steven Adams, Dennis Schroeder, Andre Robertson, all on the table as the, the Oklahoma city thunder look to shed salary. But also like when I saw that, I was like, are you suggesting that Sam Presti was not okay with listening to offers for any of those three at all this season? Like what? None of those guys should have ever been untouchable. Like even Jeremy Grant, like there's no way you're going to tell me that he's like, he made a decision at the end this summer. You know what? <sighs> this sucks, but I guess I'll start taking calls on Steven Adams, Andre Robertson and Dennis Schroeder. I, I hate that it's come to this, but maybe I should think about moving these seventh, eighth rotation guys uh, for, for somebody else. Maybe, maybe I should listen. Like what? Steven Adams would surprise me if they were willing to take calls on him before I guess he's to me, he's a top 40, 50 player in a league. When you look at the year that he had, uh, probably we just had this discussion about big men. He is one of the ones that I think you could approximate for a lot cheaper than 25.8 million that he'll get next year. And so I, I understand that aspect of it, but he's so valuable to what the thunder do at both ends. Unless you think that, Jeremy Grant is going to spend more time with the five or, you know, as we just said, can you just sign a cheaper big and you're going to be okay? He's someone though, when you look, you know, the Schroeder Rob Robertson stuff, you'd like to see Robertson's an all NBA defender and his contract's not terrible. 10.8 million. Can't really shoot. Yeah. And that's the, that's the problem there. So you would of course listen to him. Dennis Schroeder's on one of the worst contracts in the entire league. Two years and 31 million left. So that's always someone they, they only, took him and that trade was only lauded because it got the thunder out of having a stretch and wave 
Carmelo Anthony and paying him. Also because they've just only had bad point guards, like Eric Maynard and just like Kevin Ollie. Like, I feel like they've had just nothing but just bad. Derek Fisher, bad point guards behind uh, Russell Westbrook for years and years. I think that's all it was. We're like, oh, he's the best backup point guard they've ever had. And I don't even think that's true. I think it's Raymond Felton. Yeah. (laughs) And it's just, it's it's such odd timing too, because I'm I'm not going to ever commend ownership for ducking the tax it's just not something i'm ever going to do but oklahoma city's in a small market and they just paid the repeater tax and so that is a little bit impressive and to see them kind of walk back from it when the west is more wide open than it's been in the half past half decade uh really kind of sucks for them and i don't know that the number 21 pick i think they have that's not getting you off of dennis Schroeder's contract and if you actually want to duck the tax as of now i have them at almost 17 million over the tax and so if you move robertson and that first pick first round pick that's not going to get you under the tax you would have to move you know schroeder and the pick and that'll get you under or like you said you could trade i'm sure the sacramento kings would take steven adams into cap space but i just don't think he's a player you can give away i was surprised at the report that the rockets were willing to trade cp3 into the Knicks cap space so it's it's just i it's such a weird situation. I would bet against them doing anything major because I just don't know what that number 21 pick is going to help you lop off. Maybe it's a situation where you could get rid of Robertson and Patrick Patterson, both of whom are on expiring deals in one shot. But if you got to give up a first round pick to give up two relatively cheap expiring contracts and you've, I would say you've made your team worse because if Robertson's healthy, he's going to help you defensively. I know Patterson has been bad there. It's, that's just injuries patterson stuff sucks because i love pat, pat oh i thought he signed the best deal that summer of was it 2017 now i think he mm-hmm. signed there i thought that was the best deal signed all summer so it's i would be the one thing i'll say is i'll be floored if they end up trading steven adams i don't know if they do that and get better because he's so valuable to them and yet if you want value in return i don't think you're gonna get you're not gonna get cap relief and value in a trade for him you'll get one or the other their only bad contract is Dennis Schroeder. When you look at their books, like they're they're. I mean, we can be their honest. Books look normal. No, I'm saying that like this is Russell Westbrook's I'm, contract is terrible. I it's terrible right now, but I'm saying that like it makes sense. Like you have two guys who the like your two highest paid players, your two best players. That makes sense. And then Stephen Adams, their third best player, he makes a lot of money. Like that's like the way they've allocated their resources makes a lot of sense to me. And they've um. I mean, I mean, the Morris stuff. I think that was a good, a good uh, midseason addition. Like the Nerlens Noel contract was great. Der- Terrence Ferguson, I think we all like in that five man lineup. Well, if you look Grant, at the huge bar, if you sort of trace back where I think a lot of their payroll problems come from, it's matching the Cantor deal because Cantor becomes Mellow, becomes Schroeder. Yeah. Would you do Stephen Adams for Kent Bazemore and Amari Spellman? No, just because it doesn't get them under the tax. Kent Bazemore is a guy who could help them too. And then they could play Noel at the five and Jeremy Grant's like, as if he, can they afford to bring him back? He's who Noel, no bird rights. I thought he had another year. He had a player option. I don't think he opted out. I thought he opted out. He He definitely didn't opt in. I'll have to look. I'll be surprised. He had a hell of a year. I'll be surprised if he opted uh, in. Let me see. Um, I don't think he's done anything yet. Yeah, he hasn't done it yet. There's the deadline coming up, but he hasn't made a decision on that yet. I'll be surprised if he doesn't decline the player option. Hmm. Not a career that I expected from Maryland Stowell. I was very, very high on him. I thought he was the best player in that draft. Um, 
not great. So yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think the, the Thunder are, it's good that they're being proactive, but also like the Westbrook contract, like you said, it's, a, it's not a great one right now. It's not John Wall level, but I will not tolerate any John Wall slander on this podcast as um, the biggest war- Wizards starting five fan of the 2017 season. I will. I will. Yeah, the Wizards starting it. five was was a hell it's of the a best start of basketball. Five. Yeah, for that I'll one. I'll never year. forget. Um, yeah, the John Wall stuff. It just sucks. I I just I don't like any of it. Um, yeah. So the Thunder. You don't think they're going to move Adams? They're just kind of stuck. Who do you think is more likely to be traded, Chris Paul or Stephen Adams? Stephen Adams. Really. I mean, that's CP3. He's going to trade him. I don't think they're going to trade CP3. Because you have to get something back. Like, you can't just get out of Chris too far now where it's like this unbelievable back contract. It's like he was still really good when he played last year. He's still like, what, top 20 in real plus minus? He was like number two. Yeah, it's where you see the most dramatic drop off is he just can't cook in isolation like he used to, which is a problem when they're playing the. Yeah, do we know what, what if he's healthy and he can do it again? Well, that's been he's just had ham. I think he's had hamstring issues for a few years. But those now. linger. Those take forever to get over. Maybe he never gets over it. But I don't know. I think we've gone way too far the other way. Like that contract's going to suck the last two years. But Chris Paul, the player right now, is still a very, very good basketball player and would help a lot of teams. In 2019, he is someone you want on your team. Unless you're, unless no. you're the Knicks, like because you're rebuilding, and so well, the Knicks are fucked anyway. Like, no, they're not rebuilding. Well, no, they don't I, who are they agree, but like with? you need to, you don't bring in an overpriced veteran three years, one hundred twenty-four point one million dollars. That's just not you keep your cap. You do, space, and you're you supposed sit. to get Kyrie and Kevin Durant, and you're getting nobody. No, you don't. I'm not They're when you have nobody. You're worried about veterans like Mike Conley derailing Donovan Mitchell's development. What do you think Chris Paul is going to do to R.J. Barrett and Kevin Knox? Like they don't have a prayer anyway. They're in New York with no help with Steve Mills running right, things. Right, but so let them develop and hope that you develop into what. If you, they're going to get reps and minutes, I if you're a rebuilding team, you are not. And I'm not talking about a, a team that like wants to compete and is just bad, like the the Suns. Like they want to compete. I'm not saying they should trade for Chris Paul, but that's a team that wasn't good. That is on Paul. the same timeline as Paul. The Knicks are not. If they don't sign another star, they're not on the same timeline as Paul. So if you're a rebuilding team, basically from scratch, I don't know why you would want Paul on his contract. Yeah, I I, I don't know. I think the Knicks are just fucked. They well, are uh, saying if you get give them CB three, it makes it worse. I'd rather take the maybe the higher lottery odds. Well, the lottery odds they were great for them with that seventeen win season this year. Really well, to be fair, them. I I agree that the lottery odds have really like smoothed things out and promoted chaos. But statistically, the Knicks were supposed to get the fourth pick, so they actually moved up. Technically, when you look at their percent, it's just people bought into this idea that they were the league's worst team so they needed to get the number one pick and it was even under the old lottery rules if you had the worst record in the league what you essentially were winning is a 75 percent chance of not getting the number one pick and it just moved up to 86 percent this year i guess i just wouldn't put them in the rebuilding category because they just they have zero players that i think you can rebuild with right now i don't think i have no feel for barrett i don't know what a lot of people think that he could be a franchise guy i liked knox last year I'm trying not, not to be too much guy. into his. No, he's not. Um, and Mitchell Robinson, good, not a franchise guy. So I agree with no. that. But you, you continue Nilakina, to let, definitely not. <laughs> look. Nilakina is going to end up being. He needs to go to another team. I think he's going to end up being fine. But not a franchise guy. Dennis Smith Jr. Not a franchise guy. You give those kids reps and see if any of them pop and wait and bide your time to hopefully find that cornerstone in the draft or in free agency before you take on 
you know, if you want to take on bad money in exchange for picks, that's fine. But Chris Paul has three years left on his deal. This it's not even two years; it's three. I don't know. I don't think there's a right answer for the Knicks. Is my point. I'm just like in the fuck it. Why not just take on Chris Paul and hope that you can get? Other I feel like that's just the attitude that they've had for too long, and so that's. I agree with you that they're not like rebuilding because I don't think they have a clear direction. But they're rebuilding. Like, is you're building a team and you're building like guys. You don't trade Chris Epps for Zingas when you're rebuilding. That's reloaded. Yeah, that trade looks is going to need to be relitigated time and again if they don't get the star. <laughs> and I know people are saying they still got a huge draft pick haul, but if you don't. You already had a path to one, and I don't mean to rehash this, but people just seem to have missed this. You already had a path to one max contract with Kristaps. So you traded him for that second max slot. And so you essentially effectively needed to land two stars to make it worth it. But whatever. Yes. If you strike out. And they're com- not getting even one, I don't think. No, I, mean, I would need be, one to make it like defensible. Yeah. They need one. And if you and don't. I don't think that's happening. If you get no stars, now all of a sudden there are two things that trade hinges on. Those Dallas picks becoming really valuable and then Kristaps Porzingis not playing well in Dallas and those two are directly tied together so Kristaps Porzingis goes on to have even just like a decent starish career you messed up you messed up big time well if they're if history tells us anything uh it's unlikely that James Dolan and Steve Mills fucked this up yeah they're uh they've always made good decisions around that the Madison Square Garden building I love that people are talking themselves into the Knicks signing Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, a team that uh, ended up with like there was a basically like a word for word reenactment of um, Ian O'Connor's why LeBron just has to come to New York piece with the Kevin Durant stuff. Where I'm like, oh, where have I heard this before? There's OK, he's he's one there. He's clearly the best player in the world. What the only thing that could cement his legacy is by playing in Madison Square Garden. Like if he's a real winner, he'll have to go there. He knows that he has to to go and be the best and play under the lights and everything else. And it's like, uh, it's not going to happen. Like they're going to get James Dole in the room and they're going to get Steve Mills in the room. And you're like, Oh no, this is going to be a no from me. And uh, they're going to move on. Um, I don't think it's gonna be the Nets either. Like the Kevin Durant stuff, all very interesting. Cause my pick for the last year was that he's going to Clippers, but now the entry just changes everything. So I have, I have no feel on that at all anymore, but you know what, Dan, this is a good way to put a bow on everything. Do you remember when we were talking months and months ago and, just on this podcast throughout the course of the season when I was like, I don't know, you know, I, I'm still betting on the Raptors. I, I think the Raptors are winning the title. Uh, I think they're the best player in basketball. And I think that uh, it's going to pay dividends come playoff time that uh, the Raptors are, they're going to be good. I love Kyle Lowry. I love that group. I think they have the, the depth now to match a superstar on their roster. They always had the depth that their problem was they just didn't have a real superstar in DeRozan. And now they have one and depth plus superstar. It's a good thing to have in the playoffs. And, uh, they won the war of attrition and they won it with a superstar. So the Raptors, um, you heard it here first folks a year ago on this podcast, Dan can attest to my pro rap, uh, pro Raptors takes. Yes. You picked them as champions. I picked them to lose in the finals. So I was almost close, but they had, you know, I know people are going to put an asterisk on it because of the golden state injuries, but they would have given the full strength warriors a hell of a fight just because of their depth. And, uh, there I'm almost, I, I think most people believe Kawhi Leonard's still going to the Clippers. I I hope he stays just because I think the Raptors could be really special if he's still there. When you look at what Siakam turns into, the cap flexibility they have, not this summer, but over the next two summers. And I think after Paul George staying in Oklahoma City, if Kawhi then turns around and stays in Toronto, that really opens up these like superstar trade markets to where we could have maybe a dark horse team would have gotten more involved 
in the Anthony Davis sweepstakes if it had leaked into free agency and we knew that Kawhi was going back to Toronto. So there are many reasons that I'd like to see him stay there. But that's just a fantastic story. Almost a I know Zach Lowe of ESPN has said this. It's it's a well-earned title. It's also just a little bit random because of how they were assembled their first year together. They turned over the roster not once but twice because of the acquisition of Marcus Hall. They dealt with all those injuries. Kawhi Leonard was on the maintenance program. But when you look back at it all, it made sense that they peaked when they did because it was like, oh, they actually have time together now, and Kawhi is actually playing every game now. So, again, I think they have staying power, and I'm not just – not like – faux staying power and it sounds stupid to say if he stays but if he stays i think they have like real like next half decade or more staying power depending on what type of contract he signs the timberwolves are attempting to move up from 11 to 4 by the way um last thing that we gotta wrap up are they gonna use uh andrew wiggins to do it <laughs> look I think, if, I think they're gonna move him i think rosas is actually gonna find a taker if you went here's a trade the knicks look, no, <laughs> I was going to say um, there'd have to be other salary, but Rocco, Dario Saric, and number 11 for number four. Is that too much? That's too much. What about just Rocco and number 11? Yeah, I'd do it. Would the Tim- or do you think the Pelicans would do it? No, because I don't like an Ingram Wiggins. I, I don't like that. I don't like. I, no, oh, where are you getting? Where are you getting Wiggins from? <laughs> oh wait, no, you're talking about. Oh, you, I thought you were including Wiggins in that deal to New Orleans. No, Rocco oh. and number four for number. Oh, I thought we were talking about like only things that would get the teams to take on the Wiggins contract. Um, no, I mean anyone who's smart is not taking on the Andrew Wiggins contract. Well, I mean, I think the Magic should do it. Like that's the team that should do it. Like if you're going to take the flyer on Markel Fultz and you've already had just awful. Um, lottery luck yeah you you do that four years and 140 million dollars don't care the magic are fucked either way no you still do it sell seats sell people on maybe he's what is what seats is andrew wiggins selling just because he's from i I just think that there are casual fans you could talk into oh when he's four years 122.2 million i misspoke that doesn't make it any better i'm not disagreeing with you that i would go nowhere near that but i'm saying that like teams like the magic should there are teams in the league that should do it and the magic are one of them the Heat, you could talk me into being one of them. Because the Heat are capped out anyway. They're they're in purgatory. So might as well give some young guy who you could talk fans into like, hey, maybe Victor Oladipo part two. Like you could, I could see a couple teams talking themselves into that. Like the Bulls. Would it really surprise you if the Bulls traded like... There are, okay, there's a difference between being surprised that a certain front office talked themselves into Andrew Wiggins and thinking that any team should actually do it. That's true. But I actually, I do believe the Magic and the Heat should both do it if they can do it. Uh, I would... I'm not... You're not going to convince me on anything. Unless the Timberwolves are just throwing in a crap ton of future first rounders and swaps at this point. Yeah, you're just not going to convince me. And if you're the Timberwolves at that point, you might as well keep him and hope that he just reboots his value in some form. Yeah, um, I don't know. It's going to be interesting. If they can pull off, if Rosas pulls off trading Wiggins' contract, he deserves a statue. I just because don't... we talk about the John Wall thing, where it's like he's still a really good player. I think teams should still consider trading for him, depending on where your timeline is as a as a team. Like, if the Lakers don't get another guard um, this summer, if they don't get the league guard, like, I would trade for John Wall. He's already with Clutch. I think he'd be... Uh, like, why not? John Wall's different. He's at least proven that he can be an all-game right. player. Right, like, I think there are some teams who are in the win-now mode that 
you should consider trading for John Wall even after everything else. Like there are teams that should consider, like the Pacers. You're not going to get anybody better, and if you're going to contend or pseudo contend, like yeah, get Oladipo and John Wall. Who knows? They might be okay. Um, the Suns should really just do it because they just need stability at that point guard spot at some point because they have the the French dude who's getting a lot of run at the point guard um, this year. The lefty, who was that? Kevin O'Connor liked him, I remember, but he was he was really bad, really slow, and just missed every shot that I watched him take. Um, anyway, we could talk basketball all night, Dan. Um, is there anything that uh, is coming out from you at uh, Bleacher Report this week that we should check out? Um, no, I'll just be pumping out. I say pumping out, but I have a couple post-draft projects in the works, so those will be out after Thursday. All right. Yes, the NBA draft, Thursday. And also, Space Jam 2, Damian Lillard, Anthony Davis, Clay Thompson joining the cast. What a star-studded group. Um, LeBron, you did it. Yeah, and um, um, congratulations now for Anthony Davis getting $4 million to film one scene. And also, congratulations for becoming the lead spokesman of Ruffles. Uh, The fact that that was news was so NBA. (laughs) Yeah, take that, Mike Trout. Yeah. Ruffles, baby. They're coming. Uh, the NBA just blowing up all over the place, taking over the, the, the chip game. I don't think I've ever actually had Ruffles. Have you had Ruffles in your life? Uh, definitely like not within the past 10 years, but I've definitely had them before. I associate it with like an 85 year old white man. <laughs> like um, I, would, I, I don't know. Listen, good for Anthony Davis. Cause that's the closest he's ever going to get to a chip. So all right, we're ending on this. We're, we're That's not something this. I actually believe, but I felt like it was that some low-hanging fruit. I needed to to swing it. Yeah, no. My my pipe dream of the Raptors just replacing Kawhi with Anthony Davis this summer, like just trading for him and moving on and just doing this all over again just with Anthony Davis and then being the reclamation project for top 10 talent and winning titles that way. I, I, I really wanted Anthony Davis to go to the Raptors if they lost Kawhi. If they lost Kawhi, I think it, you would have had a better chance of that happening if they had Kawhi. I don't know why you trade Pascal Siakam if you don't have Kawhi. True. All right. Well, Dan, thank you as always, sir. Um, have a good rest of the week, and we will talk again soon. Most definitely. Thanks for having me as always, Chase. And that'll do it for today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. I uh, just want to remind you guys, if you like today's episode and you are subscribed on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, I would really appreciate it if you could take a second, leave the show a five-star rating and a review. If uh, you're not an Apple Podcast listener, Remember, you can find the show on Spotify, TuneIn Radio, SoundCloud, Stitcher, uh, Google Play, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Uh, be sure to check out ChaseThomasPodcast.com, where you can access all of my previous episodes and also find all my writing. I'm writing there fairly often. And also follow me on Twitter at Chase underscore Thomas and like the Facebook page at Facebook.com slash Chase Thomas Writer. Uh, thank you for your support, and we will be back another episode very soon. Thanks, guys. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah. For the ones who know that a little late is always too late, and that the clock doesn't stop just because you're missing a part, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry. And our KeepStock inventory management solutions help ensure you have the right stuff in the right place at exactly the right time. Visit Granger.com/slash KeepStock to learn more. Granger for the ones who get it done.